Welcome to Deal Us In, a podcast brought to you by McGuire Woods and Seven Mile Advisors. Deal Us In promotes the advancement of women in private equity and finance through conversations with women leaders and rising stars in the private equity and finance space. These conversations provide both insights and practical takeaways to inform your deal work and enhance the culture of your organization. If you're ready to drive the industry toward a more inclusive and diverse environment, then it's time to come to the table. Welcome back to another episode of Deal Us In. This is Ariel Barker, and I'm very excited to host this discussion today. Today, we are talking about the tricky topic of asking for help. As working women during a global pandemic, we are juggling more hats than ever. For many of us, work life is beginning to return to normalcy, and that means travel, while childcare and relearning how to juggle home life is continuing to be a constant battle. Today, I'm joined by an expert, Blair Bishop, who is going to leave us all with tips and tricks for how to navigate conversations when you honestly just need some help, whether that be at home or in the office. Welcome, Blair. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So why don't you kick us off just by giving everyone a quick rundown of your background and your current practice area? Sure. So my name is Blair Bishop, and I'm a therapist in Los Angeles. I work mostly with adults, uh, individually and in couples, and I do have a few teenage clients as well. I guess to give myself a little bit of street cred, at least in this context, uh, therapy is my second career. So I did spend a number of years in corporate America facing some of the challenges that I imagine that we'll cover today. Perfect. Thank you so much. So let's start the conversation with our relationships at home. Uh, Like I said, now more than ever, women really need their partners to share additional responsibility around the house um, and also with childcare. I know a lot of us are still working through issues um, with daycare or schools having to shut down for two weeks for different quarantine reasons. So how do you suggest that women approach these conversations in a way that's going to actually open up a constructive dialogue um, and and doesn't feel like you're, you're whining, for lack of a better word? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think that word constructive is really integral. So what I suggest to my clients is shifting your mindset first. I think too often in conflict, we have a me versus you mindset. So you've done something wrong and I'm going to tell you how I think you should fix it. And you can imagine if your partner doesn't agree with A, what's wrong and B, your solution then that's going to lead to a lot of defensiveness and a lot of resistance. So what the me versus you mindset misses out on is that collaborative problem solving and feeling like you're really on a team than just two individuals. So what I encourage my clients to do is to shift from a me versus you to actually a you and me versus the problem mindset. And a lot of people just kind of visibly relax when they hear that because that allows for teamwork and it allows for curiosity to figure out what the root of the problem is uh, rather than just the symptoms. We can go into a real-time example if you'd like. Yeah, I think that would be super helpful. Okay. So let's say that the problem is that your partner doesn't do the dishes as much as you expect him or her to. So without applying blame with this you and me versus the problem mindset, you can both look at the problem and get curious about it. So what are the expectations that have been set around who is responsible for doing the dishes? Are those expectations still appropriate or should they be amended? 
when you have to do all the dishes all the time, you know, how does that affect you? What does it make you feel? What does it mean you have to sacrifice? And lastly, what's in the way of your partner being able to do the dishes more? So as you can see, there's a slew of questions that arise when we come from a place of curiosity rather than blame. Perfect. Um, I'm going a little off script here, but I'm curious your thoughts as you're kind of prepping for conversations like this. And, and like you were saying, kind of coming at it from a different mindset. What are your suggestions around visualizing how the conversation might or might not go? Hmm. I think that if you have the mindset of you guys are a team, then it kind of disarms both of you. Yeah, I think that you should be open-minded to the fact that either the conversation can go the way that you want it to or that you expect it to, but also it can go in a way that you don't want it to or don't expect it to. And, you know, sometimes we are defensive, not because what you said is necessarily negative, but because I received it as negative because of what I'm going through. So I would say that is what I'd suggest is kind of just being open-minded to it can go a number of ways and you guys will solve it together, you know, no matter what way it goes. Yep. So kind of playing off of the example you were saying, maybe it is you need your husband to help help with dishes because you just don't have time to do it when you get home after a busy day and you come at it as positively as possible. You try to tackle it as a we But at the end of the conversation, it just has not gotten to where you need it to be, which is them being willing to step in and give you additional help because there's just not enough hours in the day. How do you suggest you kind of come back to the conversation? Because obviously your needs haven't changed just because the end result of that conversation wasn't what you were expecting. You know, do you let it lie for a little while? Do you bring it back up immediately? How do you reapproach the topic, I guess? Yeah, again, I think this is an area where it's very context dependent and there's no right answer. Uh, And I just say that because, you know, I think often we are looking for that little grain of wisdom that's going to solve everything. So I just want to validate that there's no right answers here. And I think you, and I'm using the universal you here, um, are the expert on your own life. You're the expert on your relationship. So you have the best barometer on whether your partner needs space or an apology in the moment, or whether you kind of want to double down on um, communicating your needs. That consideration just depends on the situation and the variables present. What I will say is that every relationship is about rupture and repair. So we all make mistakes. We all have ruptures in our relationships. It's unrealistic to think that we won't. But what's infinitely more important is the repair after the rupture. So are you able to let go of your ego and admit you're wrong? Are you able to accept that you and your partner have different points of views and agree to disagree? I think too often we're obsessed with the idea of being right and getting that recognition for being right. Uh, But at what cost, you know, at the cost of one or both of you feeling defeated and angry Um, so a fun little adage to remember this is, do you want to be right or do you want to get it right? One last thing I'll say on this point is that when we're in relationship, there are actually three entities present. There's you, there's your partner, and there's your relationship. And you need to tend to all three of those entities needs. Sometimes those needs are going to be diametrically opposed and that's okay. 
So in the example um, that you provided where there is conflict and you're not sure if you should take space or apologize, um, et cetera, if there's conflict and you know that it's good for the relationship to take a breather, but you personally want answers now, you're going to have to make that choice. Can I prioritize what the relationship needs over my own needs in this moment or vice versa? And then the ultimate goal is for all three of those entities needs to be balanced so that the relationship can flourish. Yeah, I think that's an important point. And I'll focus just on personal needs for a second because I know the audience of this podcast. And I think it's been a topic and kind of a zeitgeist of mental health right now. Um, So I'll kind of continue down the thread of stay the conversation, even when you bring it back up doesn't go so great. And you've had multiple conversations with different people in your life and you still don't feel like you're getting a lot of the help that you're needing and are in an overwhelmed point of view or a very overwhelmed place. How do you suggest women shift to allowing themselves to prioritize their personal mental health? Um, And what are kind of baby steps to realizing if maybe there's some mental health issues, um, whether it's spending a few minutes uh, meditating a day, or maybe it's to the point where you need to reach out and speak to someone externally. So just kind of focusing on at what point should women really give themselves the power to focus on their own mental health, even when they're obviously very concerned about the health of their relationship and their partner? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I think it's of paramount importance that we all do tend to our own needs because you can't pour from an empty cup. I'm sure we've all heard that phrase, especially in the context motherhood and partnership. You know, we just can't tend to the needs of others if our needs have just not been met. So I think that's extremely important. And self care looks different for everyone. You know, some people really enjoy meditation. I suggest exercising for everyone, even if it's just five minutes, you know, there's nothing else that's been as scientifically proven to help mitigate stress, help mitigate depression and whatnot. So exercise is not only for the body, it's also for the mind. Women are going to have to work out as we shift back to the more normalcy in the workplace. I was speaking to a colleague the other day and the comment came up my personal health and my mental health was great when I was at home because I was easily prioritizing cooking healthy meals or working out during my lunch break or going for a walk in the afternoon. Whereas when I shift back to in-person, I've been pretty quick to let those things go, basically saying I don't have time because now that's back to my commute. Um, So I do think your point around, even if it's just a few minutes, just being purposeful with our time um, and realizing that it's going to look a little bit different as work life shifts back to a little bit more normal, but not letting some of those things that we enjoyed when we are working from home just completely go by the wayside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's also a kind of mental model I love when we feel you know, uh, out of control or, you know, we just feel overwhelmed um, or we feel in a rut. I mean, it can kind of apply to any situation. And that mental model is acceptance and commitment. So firstly, acceptance for what is, you know, I'm back in the office. I'm not loving it. You know, it hasn't been great for my health. I'm not going to push away the feelings that I'm not loving it. I'm not going to push away the resentment or whatever it is that's coming up for you. And I'm not going to pretend I don't feel it, 
but I am going to accept it. That's just where I am right now. And then once you accept it, then you can make small commitments in the direction you want to go. So I accept that I'm back in the office. I'm not loving it so much. I want to make it better for myself tomorrow. So what's a small commitment I can make for myself to make it better? You know, can I go on a lunchtime walk? Can I call a friend on my commute? So I like that mental model because it gives you a sense of agency and it lets you realize that change is not one big thing all at once. It's kind of small commitments over time. Absolutely. And before we pivot over to talking more about the workplace, I did just want to add two different items. Just going back to, I I know who's listening to this and I really identify with the women in our network. Um, And I think mental health is such an important topic and really normalizing mental health being a priority. So I did just want to pass along two tidbits of great advice that I've gotten from my personal therapists. Again, let's normalize that many of us do have therapists. Um, And one of those was to visualize how to start a conversation. And I use this a lot with all kinds of different relationships, but just sometimes standing in the bathroom and starting with like, what is the first sentence you're going to say to open up the conversation, uh, just to normalize your feelings on the topic and making it seem supernatural. Sometimes that little bit extra piece of planning, I think helps me actually jump in to a conversation that maybe I'm a little reluctant to have. And then the second piece of advice that I've been given is nothing stays the same. So if you're feeling great, one day that's not going to last. And if you're feeling bad one day, it's not going to last. And I was thinking about this, even as you were talking about the very tangible example of, I need help doing the dishes. I think we've all had those conversations with our partners where we really need very tangible help and maybe we get it and maybe we don't, but the onslaught of feeling sometimes can leave a very nagging emotion an emotional response to it. So just reminding yourself that, yes, I might be very frustrated in this moment right now. He's probably going to do something, your partner or your child or whoever the interpersonal relationship with, they're probably going to do something to make your emotions swing back the other direction very soon. So not getting locked into the current emotion or, or the current state that you're in. So I'll add that and then I will let us move on Um, So we've talked about conversations at home. I think we all understand quite the difficult scenarios that come up there, but pivoting to conversations in the workplace, it's really difficult as well um, because you're also now having to add in kind of the political piece of things. And so I've been hearing from a lot of women who are returning back to in-person work that whereas a year ago, their colleagues, their boss, whoever it is, was very accepting of the fact that they would need to work weird hours, had odd things going on with their kids' schedules. It's getting back to where there's a lot less understanding around that. Yet, I know even personally, daycares are still closing. Kids are still going into quarantine. None of those difficult aspects have gone anywhere. There just seems to be a little bit less tolerance for it in the workplace. So difficult conversations are having to happen there too, asking for increased flexibility, more help, 
So how do you suggest people go into those conversations? Should you have the same tactic of we versus the problem, or is there a a better way to kind of come at it? Do you mind if I just add a few things to your therapist point? I remember your prompt for this question. Yeah, absolutely. To the therapist. Okay, great. You know, I I love that advice from your therapist and thank you for normalizing. Yes, we all have therapists, including therapists. I have my own therapist. Uh, I'll add two things. One, to the visualization uh, in the mirror. I think that's excellent. I would also suggest, you know, while you're looking at yourself in the mirror, actually moving your body uh, in a way that makes you feel powerful. So whether that's hands on hips or whether that's hands in the air, you know, any sort of power stance that you want to adopt. In the mental health community, we used to think that the mind and body were completely separate. But in recent years, we've actually figured out that the body informs the mind as much as the mind informs the body. So if you want to elicit a panic attack, you can literally breathe super fast, super shallow, and you will feel panicky. And then um, on the opposite hand, if you want to feel powerful, you can adopt a power stance uh, and that will help as well. So uh, I know it's kind of odd to look at yourself in the mirror and do a power stance. Secondly, uh, with the kind of transitory nature of feelings, it's true. You know, we are not our feelings. We are not our thoughts. I often tell clients, you know, it's all a wave. So how are we going to get through the low point and how are we going to savor the high point? So I think many of the principles already discussed are applicable here. So me and you versus the problem, I think, is a great mindset. And although there is the added layer of professionalism in workplace relationships, I just want to remind us all that they're still relationships and they're still human connections all the same. So one of the simplest and most effective formulas for getting your needs met in any relationship is, and I know this is kind of taboo in the workplace because we've been taught not to have feelings, but I do think that that's shifting. One of the most effective formulas is using an I feel statement. So if you need to push back a deadline, rather than saying, hey, I need to push back this deadline. And you can imagine your boss receiving that email and because he or she is stressed, getting defensive, getting resistant. Um, So instead of sending that email, sending an email along the line of, hey, I'm feeling really overwhelmed. My kid is sick or there's a lot of homework to do. Can we push back this deadline? And the reason that I feel statements are so effective is because one, no one can argue that you don't feel a certain way. And then two, it elicits empathy. And again, I've worked in corporate America. So I know that some of your listeners probably just ran for the hills (laughs) thinking about saying an I feel statement in the workplace. Um, So I just want to add a caveat that if you don't feel comfortable saying that you feel a certain way, you can at least own that you feel that way internally. So if you own, you know, I feel overwhelmed, you're going to come from a place of self-empathy and empowerment. Yeah. And as much as I think the initial reaction, even for myself is, 
ah, I would be so nervous to say that I do have that kind of run for the hills moment. I think it also is very humanizing, especially I know we were somewhat having this conversation in terms of asking to move a deadline to a superior. But as you turn around and look at maybe it's something you need to move a deadline with your team or groups that are working for you, it's definitely difficult to show what you know, we may perceive as a weakness, feeling overwhelmed, we may perceive that as a weakness, when really, um, it may be something that rallies our team around the human element of we are a person, we are not a boss, or we are not an employee. We are a human being with a life outside of these four walls. And I think as long as you're using these conversations sparingly, um, and using them in the right moments, it's a great way to A, like you said, really get your point across that you are feeling a certain way and that you need help or you need to move something to make it all work. But B, it's it's opening up the dialogue of, okay, employees are people and it's very valid how they feel about situations and about their work-life balance. Yeah, I think you're so right. I think that's the silver lining of this pandemic is we really are all seeing each other more than I think we have historically for each other's humanity, for each other's fallibility. And when you say something like an I feel statement, you're modeling it for other people that it's okay for them to say that too. Absolutely. So I think a lot of the points that we've talked about today at the root of them is kind of going back to an idea that's thrown around a lot of mom guilt. So a lot of the reasons we're having to have these tough conversations with partners or with colleagues is because we're trying to create more time in the day for our kids. We're trying to find more time to get to daycare pickup. We're trying to find more time for homework. We're trying to find more time to cook dinner. And that idea of mom guilt, I think is in some ways it's starting to open up, but I feel like it's still thrown around sometimes so casually that we're really not giving women any kind of support system or tactics to work through that guilt, which is very valid. Like you said, you know, that's a feeling and a pressure that many of us carry. So when it comes to mom guilt, what advice would you give to women who might be struggling? Well, the biggest piece of advice I have is just practicing self-compassion. You can't be everything at once. You can't do everything at once. You can't be perfect because perfect doesn't exist. So try as best as you can to take it easy on yourself and treat yourself how you would treat a loved one in the same predicament. And self-compassion comes in many different forms. You know, there's positive self-talk. You can uh, Google different ways to do that. There are self-compassion meditations. One app that I love is called Insight Timer on your phone. And you can do meditations that are five minutes long, 10 minutes, you know, however long you want. Uh, And there's actually a search bar. So you can search self-compassion, and hundreds of meditations will come up that have to do particularly with self-compassion. So no matter the mechanism in which you do it, I think self-compassion is so key here. You know, I talked about reminding yourself that you're human, reminding yourself that perfect doesn't exist. And then I'll also say, again, I think that a lot of the things that we talked about 
are applicable here. Uh, it's a problem just like any other problem. So any uh, mental model that you have that works in one area, you can try it in another area. And so particularly for mom guilt, I like acceptance and commitment. So acceptance for what is, I feel guilty. I don't want to feel guilty tomorrow. So what are some small commitments I can make? Can I shut off my computer at 7 p.m.? Something like that. I think that's great. And I really appreciate you bringing the examples to the table and the really tactile takeaways, uh, because I think at the end of the day, we are all looking for even if small solutions uh, to this problem that is, you know, something that we're facing every day. We're trying to juggle it all. Uh, and it's a little bit more difficult these days than, than maybe it has been historically. So as we start to wrap up, I will kind of open it back up to you. If you have any other advice for women out there who are either working mothers or women in general. And I I have kind of geared this conversation a little bit more towards women, but I, I think if you look at the weight women carry at home, it can be a lot of other things outside of childcare. It can be caring for an elderly adult. It can be increased areas of need in the community or different volunteering opportunities that they're taking part in. Um, so I don't want to make it feel like we're speaking just to moms. I think as women, we're carrying a lot outside of work. So if you have takeaways or anything else you want to add for just how to get through it as mentally healthy as possible. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one thing worth mentioning is something on a societal level, and then I'll go into the more personal individual level. So on a societal level, I really do think that it's worth recognizing that we still, in many ways, live in a patriarchal society. And of course, it's very different than it was, let's say, 50 years ago, but there's still a lot of history there and there's still a lot of systems in place there. So a lot of us have internalized that we're supposed to be the perfect worker. You know, you brought up a lot of other examples. We're supposed to be the perfect caretaker to our aging parents. We're supposed to be the perfect housewife, the perfect mom, et cetera. And this is a sweeping generalization, of course, but I don't think that men on average have internalized that they need to excel in all of those realms as much as women have. And then, of course, when we look at things like Pinterest or Instagram or whatnot, those perpetuate these messages that we're supposed to do a full day's work and then somehow magically switch modes and cook a five-course meal, entertain the kids, put them to bed, you know, slip into lingerie, and by the way, have perfect nails and perfect hair all the time. It's just unattainable. So the expectations that have historically and systematically been put on us are unrealistic and frankly unfair. So if women are on average more anxious than men, pretty easy to see why. And without getting too much on my soapbox about it, I just think it's worth mentioning that it's not all our faults that we feel like chickens with our heads cut off all of the time. Uh, there's very real societal pressure there. On a personal level, we all have inner critics. I just want to normalize that. And believe it or not, these inner critics actually have good intent. They don't have nefarious intent. They want us to be our best. 
so that we don't have to feel the pain of disappointment or failure or rejection. They're just trying to protect us. However, sometimes they can get really loud and out of hand to the point where it's no longer helpful. So sometimes I suggest a journaling prompt to some of my clients, um, and it's about opening up a dialogue with your inner critic, even befriending it. I've had some clients read really beautiful journal entries to me that read something like, dear inner critic, thank you for trying to protect me. I recognize you working so hard to try to save me from pain, but because your voice is so loud right now, and because you're actually being a little bit dictatorial, some of the other parts of me don't get to have a say. So I'm wondering if you can quiet down a little, at least for today, so that my inner optimist or my inner cheerleader, um, or just you know any other positive inner voice can actually voice their opinion here. Humans really do have a negativity bias, which makes sense evolutionarily, because back in caveman days, it was more conducive to survival to fear something than it was to be happy. But now that we live in a modern society with less actual threats to our survival, this system is totally out of whack. So no matter the mechanism in which you do it, whether that be the inner critic exercise I mentioned or keeping a gratitude list, it's just so important to make a conscious concerted effort to savor the good feelings in life, like happiness, like pride in oneself, you know, et cetera, to balance out the more subconscious insidious tendency to stew on the negative. Yep. And I feel like that's a reminder that we can all use um, is to sometimes at least attempt not to be our own worst critic. And so I'll put you on the spot here for our final question. This is something that we always ask all the, I guess, guests on our DLSN podcast is if you could go back and tell your early 20-year-old self something, what would you go back and tell her? Ooh, yeah, that's a that's a great question. I I think I would tell her to step into her power a little bit more. Uh, I think that I was pretty driven by fear, and looking back, that just wasn't helpful. I think that I didn't engage in a lot of opportunities because of fear of failure. You know, I was really scared about what people thought of me, so. I think stepping into my power is something I wish I did a little bit more and certainly something I've done as I've grown older. But I think in those formative, you know, young adult years, it's just a little harder to recognize that on your own. I love that. Um, Sometimes wisdom does come with a bit of age. Um, I can attest to that myself. So I know this is an episode that I have really been looking forward to recording. And I know I personally learned a lot and hope that our listeners learned a lot. Um, So I will put Blair's contact information in the show notes just in case anybody has has follow-up questions that they would prefer to direct directly to her. But otherwise, thank you so much for coming back to another episode of DLSN. And thank you, Blair, for being willing to have uh, this very candid conversation about a topic that is really impacting all of us. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to talk to you. 
Thank you for joining us at the table for this episode of DLSN. If you have a recommendation for an inspiring interviewee, a question you'd like us to ask, or a topic you would like to hear covered, or if you'd like to tell us about women-focused initiatives in the field, please go to our website at www.dlsnpodcast.com. We look forward to hearing from you. 